Hello and welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, joined by Don Pizzette, who's in his office this week. Don, how you doing? Yep, I'm uh, reporting on location from, I don't know, 200 feet away from the <laughs> <laughs> studio. But, uh, uh, you know, we're winding down the year. we got some really big news to get to this week, but I know we've got an awesome guest lined up, too, so it uh, should be a good podcast. Yeah, sounds good. And Daniel's back uh, with back. us. Welcome back, Daniel. We kicked Wes out for you. It's good to be back. And uh, and you were out for a, a good reason, so uh, congratulations on a new addition to the That's family. That's right. We have given birth to the man-child of the family, mm-hmm. and now I will have someone who will take his rightful place at my side one day to, you know. It was like 16 pounds. Put up. <laughs> he, was a, he was a large youngin, yeah. All he, the ounces. He was uh, over 10 pounds. It was That's like uh, in the, the Godfather. They said, you know, may your, may your third child be a masculine yes. child. <laughs> yes. And I already feel bad. And he was. <laughs> I already feel bad for our, our guest today, uh, Rohit Sethi, who is uh, with Security Compass, because uh, I believe you're in Canada, but we've already said feet and pounds uh, and ounces. So Don is, I don't know, some like. He's 700 kilos or something? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. He's a milliliter away from us. And or is it the other way? He's like one kilo? I don't know how this works. Yeah. Don't, don't feel bad. We, we happen to use feet and pounds, oh. even though we're metric. It doesn't make any sense. Take that, government. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that more that like the signs are in kilometers in a lot of places, but they'll still say miles per hour for a lot of, a lot of things in, in Europe. And or they're in French. We, yeah. <laughs> are you, are you in, you're, you're in, uh, Ottawa, Toronto, right? Toronto. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. English speaking side. Yeah. Oh, good. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I meant by that, but, uh, Rohit, uh, Rohit is the CEO of security compass. And so let's find out a little bit more about him, about the company in our first segment, rapid fire questions. Uh, who do you work for? What's new? Who are you? What's happening? What's wrong with you? You know, Justin was so much better at this than I am. I but, uh, <laughs> all right. So in our segment, uh, we're going to do five rapid fire questions or, or maybe four. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> and basically, you will have one minute to answer each one. If you take too long at approximately one minute and seven seconds, Peter will buzz. <laughs> there we go. That was early that time. Yeah. Um, and we'll move on to the next question. So it's supposed to be a quick chance to learn a little bit about you. And we will start today with Peter. So uh, let's start with Security Compass. So can you just kind of give us the elevator pitch, uh, who you guys are? Yep. Security Compass is a company that focuses on application security. We do that with our product, SD Elements. So we help bake security in from the start of the development process. We help training developers on application security. And we have a consultancy that is focused on things like penetration testing, cloud security, and other uh, red team type work. All right. Well, uh, I was reading about your company and very interesting stuff. And I read that you guys uh, developed the industry's first balanced development automation platform. Now, we're not but humble pirates here. (laughs) And those are a lot of large words, my man. What exactly does that mean? Right. So what it means is people who build software tend in in, um, what we see in the market, there's sort of two groups. The groups that prioritize time to market. And typically what they'll do is they'll build software and then they'll do some security testing, compliance reviews, that sort of thing. After software has been written, they'll try and find defects to fix, or maybe they won't fix them and they'll ship them through production. We call that fast and risky because you're not building security in and privacy in and compliance in by design. There's an alternative, which is what we call slow and safe, which is they do things like threat modeling, risk assessments, privacy by design, developer security training to integrate security in from the start. But doing so means that they slow their time to market. So that's slow and safe. Hmm. 
And what we believe is that there's a need to prioritize time to market, but also integrate security and privacy and compliance in by design. And that's what we call balanced development. It's balancing speed and safety and doing so with tool support is balanced development automation. And here I was thinking that DevOps solved all that for us and we don't have to worry about it anymore, but I guess not. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, let me ask you a question. I, I know you have been with Security Compass for 15 years and you rose up through the ranks to become CEO and that is really, really rare. So I'm super curious about that because as a as somebody who works in technology, I know that being a CEO is a skill set that involves a ton of things well beyond technology, right? Like finance, accounting, and uh, just management of personnel. So what, what was your story there? Like, how did you, how did you do that moving from the rank and file all the way up to CEO? Yeah. It, it, you know, there's a little bit of back story there in that I joined the company as the first full-time employee after Nish Bala, who was the founder, he was CEO. And I did different positions only because it, you know, at the size of company, we needed different things to be done. So I started by managing a professional services firm. I ran into um, the product side when we decided to build a product and ran that. And then when we became big enough, I became COO. And I was doing that for a number of years, which is really very cross-functional. So my job hasn't changed significantly when I went from COO to CEO. I did have a number of years of experience, but there's obviously some things that are different when you become the CEO, including working with the board and, um, you know, uh, working more, maybe more closely with sales and that sort of thing. But it's, you know, I've, I've just had a lot of experience with the company helping to, to run it more or less from the start. See, that's, that's way less exciting. Cause I, I thought you, okay, you'd sorry. like murdered everyone <laughs> yeah. on the way up. It's uh, like game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah. Just a hit list. <laughs> no, only I, wish, be one. I wish it yeah. was more exciting than that. Yeah. Like you get their power, you get the power from each one. And, uh, and <laughs> I just got here first. That's, Decapitating that's kind of people is always fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Mounties and stuff, how that works up there. But, uh, so I understand that, uh, that you guys were involved in something really high profile in the news, um, down here south of the border, the, uh, the election in, uh, in Georgia, you guys kind of did some pen testing or something with uh, with the recount. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, not not so much that we were directly involved in the election, but that we um, that we did an assessment, uh, security review of software used in potentially in recounts. It's uh, it's open source software, um, and it happened to be used uh, in this election. Um, and and so the point was to get sort of assurance of the security of the product that was being used specifically for recounts. I like like don't don't take the blame. Don't blame yeah. us. We were not involved in the election at all. <laughs> like, no, I, I, I don't even letters. know what an election is. Yeah. <laughs> I am curious. Be, being a Canadian, it is a Canadian company, right? Or, or are you just in Canada? No, it is a Canadian company. We do have a uh, a subsidiary in the U.S. and we have a number of employees in the U.S. as well. So, being a you know a Canadian held company, does that help or hinder you with being able to do security analysis and stuff here in the states? I, I don't think it doesn't hinder us at all. I'm not sure it's it's a help per se. I think it's, you know, in North America, you tend to see in in the tech landscape, American companies working in Canada and Canada, Canadian companies working in the States all the time. So I don't, it hasn't really had a, had a, a big impact for us. I was just thinking in terms of the election, it's almost better. Like, you know, here, the, the, get the Canadians like an independent perspective. Yeah. 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 Oh, Although, you know, I, I guess trade relations and all that would factor into it. So it's not totally independent. But they're one of the one countries we haven't sanctioned yet, I think. <laughs> Can't, yeah, no, I'm about to sanction you. <laughs> <laughs> Did we go to war with Canada at some point? Like, isn't that one? twelve? Yeah. Once upon a time, yeah. yeah. They, were, they were pretty much British then still, right? 
Yeah, I, we probably yeah. were too. I, I like what uh, <laughs> on house he said. You put the queen on your money. You're British. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're in the Commonwealth. She's on the point. the loony yeah. and the toony. It's the loony. Is that right? Are those things? Yep, those are things. Though these days nobody's using cash, so it's uh, oh, they okay. seem to be distant relics. All right. Well, today we learned. I, I'm still proud of myself. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we want to get your take on something that we've talked about actually in the past. Uh, here, so uh, let's move on to our next segment, which is Deja News. Deja News. All right, so this article that we're looking at is uh, about the IoT law that uh, we talked about a few weeks ago. We talked about it being a potential thing, and now it is law. So this is the article we have is from uh, Tech Republic. Cybersecurity experts hail the new IoT law. But what I'm curious about, Rohit, is uh, when, when we've talked about it in the past, it seemed like it was really geared towards making regulations in that the that the government in the U.S. would have to follow when purchasing IoT things. So is this something that impacts the end user, the, the customer, uh, in terms of the security of their IoT devices at all? Well, yeah, no, in, in an indirect way, yes. And so what I would say is like working through with a gamut of companies in various industries, particularly in software security, what's interesting, and I think that a lot of people don't realize, is there's not a, a lot of regulation or even standards on product security, building secure products, building secure software. There's a lot on sort of, I'll say cybersecurity, enterprise security, protecting your networks. But, you know, people will be, I think, shocked to, to know how little emphasis there typically is in building secure products. And that's true of IoT devices. And so I think, you know, what you're seeing here is a recognition that absent of some kind of regulation, and, and you know, using the purchasing power of the federal government, um, it's unlikely that you're going to see really securely developed and, and uh, you know, baking security in sort of the entire process, uh, IoT devices, and really just sort of largely software in general. But the specific risk profile of IoT devices has meant that there's a lot of emphasis on making sure, making sure these things are secure. And I think by using their purchasing power, they're going to um, have an impact on the IoT providers, right? Uh, they're going to have to start to implement some minimum best practices from a security perspective, and that's going to benefit everybody who buys those same devices. So I, I was excited when I heard you were going to be on the show because I, I wanted I wanted to get a second take on what my statement was. When, when we covered this article, I I made the statement that I did not think it would be effective, and the main reason for it was the government was basically saying we will not purchase products that don't meet a certain minimum standard. And so if somebody's an IoT vendor and they're manufacturing thermostats or whatever that are being sold to the U.S. government, then yeah, they're, they're going to have to deploy secure development lifecycle. They're going to have to make sure that they are living up to those standards that the U.S. government has specified. And so those products will get better. But if I'm selling a product that doesn't go to the U.S. government, you know, like the U.S. government is not buying Nest thermostats. So if Nest thermostats are just being sold to consumers, then this regulation doesn't really affect that company. And so I, I felt like it wasn't going to make a real difference to IoT in general. So would you say that's true or false or it's somewhere in between? What, what's your take? It's a, it's a good point. I mean, we're targeting a subsegment of the entire IoT world. What I would say, though, is every time that one of these standards or regulations passes, it creates implicit pressure in other areas to step up the game. And so I'll give you an example. Like, you have this particular law that's been passed. In the industrial IoT space, 
you have the ISA secure designation, which is sort of a, a seal of approval of the degree of security you've used to build an industrial control system. Um, and, and that's starting to gain some traction. In the payment card industry space, you're starting to see the software security framework where more and more parts of the payment ecosystem are requiring integration of security into the development process. And so at some point, you got to look over at medical devices and say, how come they're not being held to the same level of scrutiny? And then you look at, you know, um, the, the nuclear industry and, and other like really high profile, really security sensitive industries and say, how much are they integrating security into the software development process? And, and I think that as the bar starts to raise across the board, it creates this implicit pressure on those places that are not covered. Right. And, and the other thing is that the manufacturers who create these devices, like maybe there's only some of them that are being purchased by the US federal government, but to the extent that they're integrating into the standard development process, you know, it's easy for them to then um, extend it to, to, to everything else that they're doing. So we've seen in other industries where a subsegment of their product portfolio had to become more secure and it creates an implicit pressure across the rest of the company to, to raise the bar. So I think it's a, you're right that it's not going to have a direct impact to the entire space right away, but it will over time. I'm, I'm confident of that. I almost see this like GDPR too, where, you know, I, if I'm a U.S. company, you know, GDPR doesn't affect me directly, but I might say, well, if I have anyone that's going to be uh, on using my system there, I've got to up these standards. So, it, you know, it kind of has a, a ripple effect. Do you see this kind of as a, um, you, you know, the, a starting ground for some more IoT regulation or, or are there stricter regulations in other countries that, uh, that maybe this is following? Yeah, no, I, I'm not aware. I, I can't say there aren't. I'm not aware of stricter regulations mm -hmm. for IoT devices, but what I would say is uh, I, I agree. I think that this sets a, sets a precedent. I think other countries will step up when they see that this is happening. Because again, it's the implicit pressure. Like, don't, you know, doesn't every federal government care about this? And it'll eventually uh, end up affecting many, many devices. So it seems like part of the the real issue here is that people don't understand that bringing in any device into a network could possibly be opening a security issue right so in your experience i guess my question is going to be how do you get people to understand you can't just go and buy something off a shelf and slap it in your network and go this is cool we should probably take security a little more seriously and therefore it's going to drive the market to become more secure it's going to create that competition between the entities that are creating whatever products that people want to go, well, now my customers are demanding more secure devices. How do we get the customer to demand from the pr producers uh, more secure IoT devices? I think in the B2C space, it's unrealistic to expect consumers to have that understanding. I mean, it's it's easy to say, hey, we built it securely, and you can't really expect you know an individual consumer to say, oh yeah, I'm going to hold that to some degree of scrutiny. Now, the caveat I would say is that if at some point there's a widely understood accreditation of some kind that people have confidence in, you might start to see that evolve and people will demand, just like the way I talked about ISA secure, you might start to see that sort of thing in the consumer space eventually. But I think a more realistic scenario, and part of the reason I'm so you know excited about this particular law is both the government as well as the enterprise space, they do have that degree of sophistication. They do understand what it takes to build secure products and they can hold the vendor more accountable. So I think they're the ones that are going to drive the change. I think it's difficult to expect an end customer to really understand the security implications of, of buying a product um, and, and knowing 
what risk it, you know they're going to inherit by uh, you know just plugging it into yeah it. I, I totally agree with you I think it would be cool for us to I say us the royal us as a community to create an entity that certifies this IoT device has security you can trust it and it doesn't necessarily have to be a government entity that does that it could be right. uh, a group that comes together but that would be I think a really good yeah, the, step in the, the right good direction. housekeeping seal of approval there you go but right? I know if, if I was looking you know at, at two doorbells on the on the shelf at Best Buy and and this one had a stamp that said you know approved and that's the only difference that I saw right. as a general consumer I, I would still pick that one so yeah. um, well. so that's good but I think what we'll do is maybe we'll come back have you come back in a year and either Don will apologize to you <laughs> or or I'll uh, apologize one of us or will say apologize. nanny nanny boo boo <laughs> or, or whatever so we'll uh, we'll see what what effect this has and and if it does, you know, eventually have a, a trickle down to, to other countries or, or regulation for uh, for the general public and not just uh, government purchasing. So uh, so if people want to find out more about uh, Security Compass, what's the best way for them to go about that? Well, certainly come to securitycompass.com. I would also we, we also have a podcast uh, where, mm-hmm. you know, we're focused specifically on um, balance development and the and the sort of nature of balancing risk um, with time to market. And sort of, you know, talking about people who, who deal with that on a day-to-day basis, what kinds of challenges they run into and how they've gotten around it. Um, so that's another thing you can do is it's called the Balancing Act. Uh, you know, listen to that. Uh, but um, we're very much happy to, to engage. Um, one thing I would say, you know, for anybody who's looking at things like developer training, we have, um, you know, developer security training. And you can go right to our website and learn more about that um, and, and just implement it into you know, your, your development process and train developers on security. And I saw you guys recently won a cybersecurity breakthrough award for application security. Was that for a specific, uh, um, you know, case study or, or just in general? Yeah, it was for the the SD Elements product, the balanced development automation platform we talked about. Um, you know, we've, we've been getting a lot of traction uh, in, in growing that and um, getting a lot of sort of the, uh, you know, I'll say those top 10 sort of technology companies, top 10 um, or top 100, you know, banks, that sort of thing, who are kind of at the bleeding edge of integrating security and compliance into development process and want to do so in a really automated way. Um, you know, they've, they've been helping to raise our profile. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that this award was recognition of some of the great things that we have done with, uh, with our customers. Fantastic. Well, I'll Keep hitting refresh here, waiting for the uh, invitation to to be on your podcast. Uh, (laughs) We'd be honored. Uh, You'd want Don or or Daniel. You you would not want me. (laughs) I think they do. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I think I think Peter volunteered. I think we've got ourselves. Let's get an idiot's perspective on this. (laughs) This will be comedy gold. (laughs) Hey, could you stop eating that crayon and weighing on this? (laughs) I eat paste. Thank you. Ah, sorry. Crayons are disgusting. Uh, All right. Well, uh, Rohit, thank you so much for taking the time today. We appreciate having you on. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, and everybody stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break, come back with more Technado with Don Pazette right after this. The IT Pro TV app is available for iOS and tvOS. The modern user interface makes navigation easy. Recently watched videos can be found on the home screen. as well as our daily live streams. Choose landscape mode for larger viewing. Access the entire course library by clicking on the play icon. Navigate our content by category, certification, and job role. 
Learn where you want and when you want as a premium annual member by downloading episodes for offline viewing. Watch on the go and pick up later on any of your favorite devices. So head to the App Store and download the IT Pro TV app. Welcome back to TechNado with Don Bazette, and thank you so much to Rohit Sethi for joining us and telling us all about Security Compass and uh, a little bit more about that IoT uh, law, so we'll see who is right at the end of the year. Not that there's just one right or wrong, because I agree, Don, I'm skeptical that... Uh, you know, that it changes anything because we've yeah. seen how bad security has been on IoT. But I suspect a year from now, neither of us has to apologize because it'll be the exact same as it is right now. Yeah. The U.S. government has <laughs> to apologize. Zero change. Yeah. Yeah. Like, our law sucks, and we're sorry <laughs> that we wrote that law. Well, we've, <laughs> we've got a lot of other news to get to, so let's go ahead and jump right in with uh, a big story this week um, from TheVerge.com. Uh, Gmail, YouTube, Google Docs, and other Google services hit by massive outage. Google says the problem should be fixed for most users now. And it's funny that most people are like, YouTube's down, but there's also a lot of companies that use Gmail for their <laughs> entire business. So a lot of businesses yeah. were down, too, as opposed to just not watching videos. Well, not, not to mention, like, Google Analytics, mm -hmm. which is used by practically every business. Uh, you know, and, and we reported last week on AWS's outage, where AWS Kinesis had a tantrum and basically it brought down the majority of uh, people's ability to access AWS-based services. And, and all the companies that were using AWS were affected. Well, Google didn't want to be outdone, so they jumped in with theirs. <laughs> Hold my beer. In Go their ahead. case, uh, they had a quota system in place that would limit the amount of resources available to customers, and they accidentally applied it to their authentication servers. And so that restricted their authentication server's ability to scale. And so while their servers didn't go down, they weren't accommodating scale. And so that meant the majority of users weren't able to authenticate. Now, unlike AWS, where there were still services that functioned, in Google, if you can't authenticate, that's it. You know, Unless that service has a non-logged-in experience like YouTube, most of the other services don't. You have to be logged in. So it was effectively a system-wide outage for most users. Uh, I think The Verge, somebody had a screenshot that showed Google's status page, and it's just red lights all the way down, yeah. versus AWS, where it was like five different services that were lit up. So this is a pretty big one. Uh, it didn't last that terribly long. I think it ended up being about three and a half hours uh, before everything was restored, but it, it was a pretty big deal. So they basically DDoS themselves. Uh, in a way, yeah, yeah. The most important question is, did they meet their SLA? <laughs> well, I'm sure they defined their SLA, so if they didn't, they... They, they rewrote it. Well, like Don <laughs> we said, know what they, I mean for like the people that are using their services. They technically weren't down. It was it was just... Right. That you, <laughs> you could argue that. the problem it, here. So. Well, is, it, is uh. this dumber... Then the AWS one, which, which one is, is, a, is a stupider Which move one here? is dumber? Um, well, you know, the AWS one was attributed to them trying to scale out Kinesis and not realizing the limited number of threads that they could have running on the Linux OS. In this case, it's accidentally applying a quota to a system that shouldn't have a quota. So I, I would say the Google one is actually dumber. But didn't we have a Microsoft one a couple weeks ago as well? Where, it does where seem Teams like, was yeah, down. Like Teams was down. Yeah, yeah. man. Well, we got, we, they're just the big dogs are really bringing their A game this year. Huh? Who is twenty twenty is yeah. kicking some ass. Well, the way I've leveraged this is, you know, as somebody who uh, you know runs a technology company or even a non technology company, if you're an IT manager out there and you have a two hour outage, and people are are pressuring you, you can say, look. There's this multi-billion-dollar international organization called Google, 
and they had downtime, <laughs> and look at all the resources they have. So we're not doing so bad. So it's, it's a great way to get some justification. Yeah, it is nice to be able to point to the, <laughs> the your betters and say, yeah. hey, if it's good for the goose, right? And then it must be good. The best. <laughs> so if you had limitless tech budget right. and you know access to the, the best staff available in the world, the, just PhDs everywhere you throw a stick, you hit one. Like, that That's what Google has. That's and the they had an outage. Stop throwing sticks at the PhDs. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. Well, Nobody I, likes getting hit. If there is a silver <laughs> lining to this, it's that it occurred at, at 6.55 a.m. Eastern time in the U.S. And uh, it says the majority of users were... Uh, had the issue resolved at 7.52 a.m. So if we're talking about business right and, and <laughs> yeah. Google Classroom, that's a big one, too, right now mm. with, with learning from home um, with, with COVID. Yeah, anybody, uh, you know, West Coast, Mountain Time, you probably weren't even aware that this, this was an issue. Europe, you know, bigger issue for them, You probably obviously. noticed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you probably noticed. We were waking up going, well, i got to watch some YouTube videos before work. No, that, that was your problem, but... Uh, yeah, so we'll see. I don't know. Maybe between now and next week, Facebook will forget to uh, renew their domain name or something. <laughs> and we'll, we'll see what's next. Well, Somebody's going to grab that right yeah. out. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not an article that we picked for this week because it's not too exciting, but Facebook has their own antitrust issues oh, yeah, they're up yeah. against right now. That uh, is turning into a giant mess. We'll see where yeah, that ends that's, up. That's not as much of a bonehead move as a you know power grab. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Yeah. They're going to have downtime when they get broken up into <laughs> yeah. Bell East and Bell West. <laughs> Bell and <East. laughs> Fanny and Freddie. All right, uh, let's go over to our next article from TechCrunch.com. Cloudflare and Apple design a new privacy-friendly internet protocol. So can, you can just do that? You can make your own internet protocol? Is that <laughs> yeah. Yeah, ain't nothing stopping you. I, did, I didn't realize. How do you get people to use that internet protocol? So a anybody can make a protocol, right? Uh, you just draft an RFC. You can submit it to any number of organizations, Um uh, uh, you know, the IEEE is one of the bigger ones. So you submit it to them, they pick it up, uh, and then people can vote, nominate on it, try and get it to convert into a standard. Just because you create a protocol doesn't mean people will use it, and so it's not guaranteed to pick up. But because Apple and Cloudflare are behind this one, it's going to get picked up. Yeah, it's uh, all about, like, market going, oh, this is cool, yeah. we should use this. Now, really, it, it's combining two ideas that are pre-existing, so they didn't really invent something too terribly new here. First, they're doing DNS lookups via a secure tunnel, right? So uh, people have learned that even when you're using SSL and VPNs, that when you do a DNS lookup, you are telling DNS servers what websites you're going to. So if you're using your ISP's DNS servers, they know exactly what sites you're going to. Even though they don't know what you're sending, they know the sites that you've been to. So securing connections to the DNS server, that's one part. That stops middlemen from seeing where you're going. But the DNS server still knows. They can still pull the logs and know where you went because you've had a secure connection that terminated on the DNS server. So they're proposing a, a new protocol, which they are called the Oblivious DNS over HTTPS or O-D-O-H. Like, uh, Odo. Yeah. <laughs> Homer. uh, yeah. Homer's DNS protocol of choice, yeah. where it relies upon a relay. You build an encrypted session between you and a relay server that then sends it on to the DNS server. The data stays encrypted as it passes through the relay, so the relay can't read it. And the DNS server only sees the relay talking to it. So the DNS server doesn't know who sent the request, the relay server doesn't know what the request was. Only you know both pieces. So it gives you security and privacy. So you were saying that if you are on a VPN and currently, uh, when you're doing a DNS lookup, it can still see that, that information um, you know, to your ISP. 
in this case, even if you're not on VPN, is it is it still hidden in the secure uh, secure tunnel? So, uh, assuming that your system is set to use ODOH, mm-hmm. and assuming that your software isn't hard coded to bypass it, there are some web browsers and other software like Microsoft Windows. Microsoft Windows doesn't care what DNS servers you're configured with. When it comes time to do Windows updates, it does lookups against Microsoft's DNS servers to find the update servers. So, you know, there, there's some cases where stuff is hard-coded. And in those scenarios, you'll have to use a transparent proxy or something to intercept that. So is this something, that, like a change that happens then at like an ISP level, where an ISP would have to say, all right, we're going to switch to use this DNS lookup? Or can I as an individual say, well, I'm going to change it, and, and anytime I'm doing a DNS lookup, it's going through, through the system from, from my machine? So it's going to be up to you as an individual and the software you use. So the you know whoever made your operating system or your web browser, whatever, they're going to have to decide to adopt that, and then you can enable it. ISPs don't want it because ISPs resell that information. Oh. Even, even if they've anonymized it, right, remove your PII from it, they sell that data of here's how many of our customers went to CNN at this time versus that time, and, and they make money on it. Yeah, they don't like you dipping in their pockets there, Peter. Yeah. Now, so- correct me if I'm wrong, but Firefox, is it that they have this kind of uh, – it's kind of built into their their infrastructure, isn't it, or their browser? Uh, I know Brave did it. Did Firefox Brave do did it? it? I, I want to say Firefox. Not this particular Firefox. one, not the ODOH. Just the the, uh, the ability to work with this technology. I, I think uh, Firefox did. Uh, I know they did DNS over HTTPS, Maybe and they kind of made that their default. Uh, yeah. I don't. I don't think they've tapped into ODOH yet. Gotcha. All right. Well, just I guess take some time, get it in the registry of your machine, and and change all your code so you can. Do this, right? Is that? Uh, it's not in the registry. No, this will be like just change your. You just have to incorporate the technology. Well, it's a little unclear right now. Like, do we have to stand up our own relay server, or are there going to be publicly available relay servers? And if there's public relay servers, can you trust them? Yeah. Right. It'll be kind of like a tour for DNS proxying. Yeah. So you know, Cloudflare they have DNS service. You can use it right now. It's four ones, right? One dot one dot one dot one. Uh, but if you use it, now Cloudflare knows where you've been. And so if Cloudflare offers us a relay server, that doesn't help. You can't have one company have it all. So if Apple does a relay and Cloudflare has the DNS server, then maybe there's where you get your anonymization and trust. But you know, maybe the Tor network picks it up. We'll have to see. It's all, all really new stuff. But if this, is, if this is developed by Apple, maybe we can expect to see a, a change in, in uh, a future Mac OS that, that this is baked in, if this is how we do DNS searches. That yeah, makes sense. certainly could happen. Yeah. Okay. All right, we'll keep an eye on that and uh, and see how that is adopted you in, the, do that, in the coming yeah. months. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to add it to my list of things to keep an eye on because I say that, you know, after every article. He's just sitting at his desk staring at the computer <laughs> screen going, yeah. refresh. Still nothing refresh. really <laughs> cooking on this. I'm, I'm just assuming they'll put the, the update in the same article so I can just... Keep refreshing <laughs> yeah. that page. Yeah. Every I'm day, just, checking for that article update and waiting right. for Rohit's uh, invitation. Right. I've got to tons <laughs> of tabs open here. Yeah. All right. Our next article is from cybercity.biz, which sounds made up. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> but that is real. Uh, Nixcraft is the website. Uh, CentOS Linux 8 will end in 2021 and shift focus to CentOS Stream. That's exciting. <laughs> Don, you're the. So oh, oh, um, let me just hit the peanuts. I think you know how. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Sometimes I accuse sites of sensationalizing a headline. <laughs> this one, what's the opposite of sensationalizing? Yeah. Downplaying. Downplaying. Yeah. Yeah. This is a big deal. Oh. It, it's it's okay. a huge deal, and the headline doesn't really encapsulate it. But uh, earlier this year, 
Red Hat announced that they were going to be doing a new release of CentOS. Uh, CentOS, if you're not familiar with it, is a community enterprise operating system. It's an open source repackaging of Red Hat Enterprise Linux. Well, Red Hat Enterprise Linux, or RHEL, costs money. You have to pay to run it. And CentOS is basically like a free version of it. You can run it, but you don't get support from Red Hat. And it's been like that for years and years and years, really well over a decade, uh, that you've had this choice. So basically a free version of RHEL. Well, Red Hat announced a new roll-up of CentOS called CentOS Stream. And CentOS Stream was going to be a little more cutting edge. Not as cutting edge as Fedora, but a little bit more. So it would have maybe some packages in it that weren't considered as stable or as secure as what's in actual Red Hat, Enterprise Linux, and CentOS. Uh, so that was interesting that they announced that. A lot of us wondered, hey, you've already got Fedora. Why, why do you need CentOS Stream? Well, now we found out. They came out and announced that that's it. They're not spending any more money or resources on CentOS Linux 8. And that means they're going to be moving it all over in January to CentOS Stream. And so they've effectively killed off CentOS. That's it. So uh, CentOS 7 and earlier, they're already not developing on. They'll backport security fixes is, is what they've been doing. Um, and CentOS 8 was supposed to be supported for like another, I think, another eight years. That's all gone now. So as of January, CentOS is effectively an unsupported operating system. And that's huge because hundreds, thousands of organizations, practically the entire Fortune 500, make use of CentOS in one form or another. A lot of third-party hardware you buy runs CentOS, and this is going to impact them in a significant way. So it's a, it's a huge deal. Well, joke's on them. I'll just keep running CentOS 7, and it'll be <laughs> fine, I'm sure. That works until, you know, you need some updated library that's not supported on CentOS 7 or some security vulnerability is found and they don't backport a fix for it. That's that's the problem you run into. Do you see this being like Windows 7, though, where, you know, Microsoft's, all right, we're not supporting this anymore. All right, there's a huge security yeah. flaw. We'll go back and patch it. We'll go well, back and patch it. I, I don't. And the, the reason is, and remember, IBM acquired Red Hat this year. And I'm sure they're looking at the revenue stream. And I, I don't know if I've talked about this in the podcast, but what some companies will do is they know that if they buy Red Hat Enterprise Linux, they can get support. But they can run CentOS for free with no support. So what they do is they build their staging environment with CentOS. and I'm sorry, with Red Hat. And then they build their production environment with CentOS. In their staging environment, maybe they only need two servers in a cluster. And so they buy Red Hat licenses for them. But then when they deploy in production... They do CentOS because they can scale out to 1,000 servers and not pay a dime. And when they have a problem, they can still call for support. It's kind of a way of cheating the system. They don't pay as much as they should. So this is IBM's way of saying, no, if you want Red Hat stability, you're going to have to pay for it now. Uh, what I think will happen is most people will move to other distros, right? Yeah. Uh, Oracle Linux is based off of Red Hat as well, very similar to CentOS, so you can do that. The original founder of CentOS has announced Rocky Linux, which is going to be his new Red Hat based distro that he's releasing. Does it have like a Stallone voice? I don't know. That'd be really cool. Yeah. The user interface will be called Adrian. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, the uh, the founder of Cloud Linux announced they're creating one called Linux, I think is what they're calling there. So anyhow, there's, Linux, there's a couple Linux. of alternatives that'll be coming out soon. Personally, I never trust new distros. So I think the big impact here is gonna be more people moving over to Ubuntu. Yeah. I, think, I think it was Annie Linux. What about SUSE? Are they still viable anymore? I mean, they, they are. They run in Europe a lot, don't they? They do, and I, I never really understood that. SUSE is so popular in Europe and practically non-existent here in the U.S. Hmm. I, I'm not sure why that is. 
I'm going to go on record and say worst Salone impression ever. That's fine. From Daniel. <laughs> can I second that mushroom? I mean, it's, there, I mean, there are those people that everyone thinks they can do, like Christopher Walken, oh, yeah. Stallone. Dude, Chris like Walken is one of the most difficult. It's Yeah. yeah. But everybody you know, does it. Yeah. yeah. I put this watch. Yeah. yeah. Okay, there it was. That's amazing. Comfortable hunk of metal. Uh, yes. Yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> And I'm sure our producers right now probably has not seen Pulp Fiction. They're saying, what are they even talking about? <laughs> They're like, what's a Pulp Fiction? They have never seen any movies, those people. <laughs> All right, uh, let's move on to our next article over at CNET.com. Lock down your Microsoft 365 account to prevent spying eyes. Here's how. And it goes on to mention the U.S. government suffered a data breach after hackers targeted Microsoft Office software. And so they give five steps to protect your accounts, which honestly... Seem like the pretty common sense so, steps. This was my first. I was like, oh, so do security. Yeah. Because <laughs> well, I thought there's, oh, there's some new specific. Yeah. Oh, no. do multi-factor. Yeah. It's not, oh, there's this Dude. cool tool that you download and it'll run and it'll do this and blah, blah. Nope. Just yeah. security. Oh, don't don't security. write down my password on a post-it. Yeah. Got it. Number three is my favorite, too. Avoid phishing scams. Oh, because before, <laughs> I was just answering all calls. Yeah. Replying before, to I was emails. seeking them out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did anybody need Man, this password? I've been buying Apple gift cards all day just waiting for somebody. <laughs> so you might ask yourself, why did I pick this article if it's so lame? Yes. Um, the reason is one of the biggest attacks. Actually, I, I'm going to go as far as to say the biggest hack of the year occurred last week, and we're going to talk about it in a minute. Um, but this was the precursor to it. Uh, so as people started realizing what was going on, it was originally thought that hackers were able to compromise Microsoft 365 accounts and then impersonate employees and do all sorts of crazy things. So Microsoft had to scramble a little bit and put out a, a notice to let people know, like, hey, you need to be securing your Microsoft account. And so they recommended five things, right? Set up multi-factor authentication, protect your password, again, pointless. Uh, avoid phishing scams, pointless. Protect your apps, pointless. Uh, make it <laughs> easy I'm to sorry, recover not, not your pointless. account. Is pointless the right word? Um, yeah. I guess pointless is not the right word. Just, just common yeah. sense, yeah. stuff yeah. you should already be doing. No, that. duh. Yeah. Not really fine, something but... you can take action on. Yeah. Um, so the, the reason it was like this, though, is the problem actually ended up not being Microsoft. It came from a different vector, uh, which I don't want to kind of ruin that one. We'll see here in a moment. Uh, but it is a, a kind of an eye-opener for people. You do need to be practicing basic security. And I, we joke about how these five things are common sense. Maybe they aren't. Maybe, yeah. maybe they aren't for you. If well, you're new to IT, these are things everybody should be doing. And here's the thing. And actually, you know, if you, if you take a look at it and you really think about it, you go, oh, right, we, we deal with security stuff all the time, right? I teach security. We talk about security almost every podcast. So we're very familiar with these things, but these are the things that they're telling people will help keep you secure, right? From the largest, as Don put it, the largest hack of 2020. If you just do these things, it'll help keep you secure. That's what we've been trying to tell everybody. So like Don kind of was pointing out, maybe the word isn't out yet that if you do these simple things, you can keep yourself way out of the weeds and keep your data where it's supposed to be and not in the hands of somebody you don't want it. Yeah. And and when it said U.S. government here, we, is this the Treasury? Is that the, yeah. the issue we were talking about? Well. Uh, I mean, I know that that's part of the next story, too. Yep. I think, right? and the, we'll talk about the scope of it in the next segment. Yep. Well, let, let's just well, do let's it. Let's go. Because <laughs> we, we've left you uh, wondering enough, but you, you probably aren't because you're probably aware of this. So our next article is from ArsTechnica.com. And, you know, most news agencies save their big story for the end, so we'll do sure. that. Uh, Premier, More news at 11. Yeah, 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 exactly. Are your kids safe? <laughs> 
Premier security firm FireEye says it was breached by nation-state hackers. The FBI, normally mum on such matters, says it is investigating the hack. And so it sounds like FireEye thought they that, that they had been breached, and in, in yep. finding out where the breach was, found a bigger issue. Yes, and that that's a great way to summarize it right there because, you know, it, in a way, it's fortunate that a cybersecurity firm got hit. So uh, FireEye detected that uh, unauthorized individuals had gained access to their network and had gained access to some of their red teaming tools they used to test and secure client networks. Um, they did the responsible thing, so they, they immediately disclosed what happened, so they, they let the public know. Uh, they also did something I thought was really cool, which is they took hashes of all of the red team tools and sent them to every antivirus vendor so nice. that the antivirus vendors could immediately list them in their definition updates so the tools would be blocked from use pretty much everywhere. Uh, so that was a really cool thing for them to do. They, they handled it great. Uh, but as they started digging into it, you know, being a cybersecurity firm, being somebody who deals with this every day, they knew exactly what to do. They started digging into it, and they figured out the vector that the attackers were able to use to get into the network. And once they figured out that vector, they traced it back and found out that this attack was way bigger than just them. So this was not targeted on Microsoft 365. This was not targeted on FireEye. In fact, the vector was SolarWinds. So SolarWinds is a company that makes network monitoring software. I've used them at literally every company I've worked at. Uh, I, I think it's a great product, the SolarWinds Network Performance Monitor. It uh, You can quickly deploy it and monitor bandwidth and uptime and network health, server health, all sorts of really cool things in a simple web UI. So it's a, it's a great tool a lot of us use. Well, the attackers which have been traced back to, I believe it's the Cozy Bear group in Russia, you know, it's always something bear, uh, <laughs> that they were able to compromise SolarWinds deployment servers. And they were able to back a, or basically build an, a, a malware or a backdoor of sorts into an update that was hosted from the SolarWinds servers that then pushed out to over 18,000 wow. clients. And this is software designed to monitor your critical infrastructure, your servers, switches, routers, firewalls, and companies trust this software. And over 18,000 companies deployed this update. That means the attackers gained access to a ton of stuff, including the U.S. Treasury, NASA, and FireEye. This is the biggest attack of the year, maybe the decade. So we found this out because of FireEye. Do we have any indication of how long they were uh, they were in SolarWinds before uh, this was discovered? So they uh, they actually did put out a little timeline. The update that contained the malware was released between uh, it says it was available between March 2020 and June 2020. So that that's like that's three months. Yeah, mm. that that's a long time to be sitting there uh, exfiltrating data or. Um, I mean, I guess we don't really know what they were doing. And actually, the, the numbers have been time. updated a little bit. It says uh, they have 300,000 total customers. 33,000 were using... Oh, you know, it says Orion. It used to be called Orion forever ago. Yeah. Now it's Network Performance Monitor. Um, now I don't know if I can trust this article or not. <laughs> uh, well, no, then it goes on to say that fewer than 18,000 are believed to have installed the malware-laced update. Uh, but it just shows, like, here's software that you trust, and you apply an update, and it's already got a an exploit baked into it. 
And in this case, it was a nation state actor. And Daniel, you can probably speak better to this. Like, these are some really talented people, right? <coughs> Excuse me. The fact that they were like burning zero days to get into these systems shows the level of sophistication that they had, and which is what it's pointing to them being APT. And FireEye monitors APT activity. They're always um, kind of updating the communities about what APTs are up to, which new ones have been discovered, and things of that nature to help the security community understand where they need to you know, build fences yeah. against what APTs they need to worry about. So the fact that they were like this, this article goes to say about how they were using techniques that they'd never seen before. A, it shows that no matter how big you are, it's just a matter of time if, if somebody with the right resources decides to target you. B, you never know what you're using, that your security may be amazing, but you you basically bolt on a piece of, of unsecure software or hardware or something, and you're building in a door for them to slide through and gain access to it, and how far this gets to reach out because of the, them finding a zero-day vulnerability on a SolarWinds software. It's a very, like you were saying, super popular, so it was highly likely that they were going to get some high-value targets out of this. So it was smart for them to go after that. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that we see at that state level. So, I mean, it, it's amazing to see. It's always like, wow, man, these are these are some smart individuals that come together and, and do these things. So you kind of admire that on one hand, and then you go, but they're real a-holes because <laughs> <laughs> of what they do with that knowledge. They're smart a-holes. Well, yeah. you know, see, I, I always have a debate on this one because, um, you know, are they a-holes really? Like, it, oh, yeah, if, it's true. If I, I, the perspective. So, you know, obviously, if you're in, in any war, both sides think they're on the right. And so if, if I was a Russian citizen and, you know, doing this to the, the, the Russian yeah. government, then I, I wouldn't necessarily think that was a bad thing. I'm, I'm doing my duty. Uh, I... I try and envision what it's like for these people, and we have no real idea. We, we don't yeah. know where these people necessarily are. We're being told that it's the Russians, but we don't actually know that. But I was thinking, like, imagine, Daniel, Peter, put, put yourself in their shoes. You're, you're working in your war room, you know, and, oh, man, you just found a way into Solar Winds Network, right? And you realize the scope of that. Like, companies that have limitless security budgets will set up out-of-band network management, uh, you know, a, a special network just for their management tools, you just gained access to that for all of these customers. Like Daniel, you mentioned holding zero days, right? Yeah. So they probably say, "Oh my God, I just got to <laughs> break out break, break, where the it says champagne, you know, yeah. break glass in case of fire." Like this is it. Yeah. Break out those zero days. We're using them all. Yeah. We're about <laughs> to burn it down. Th there's literally no better target. Th this is the the this best. Is, this <laughs> is yes, the the unicorn that you're looking for. Yeah. This I, is the chance to get my family out of the gulag. Yeah. <laughs> they probably went nuts and broke out every tool and and rolled out every stop right. because they. They knew once they were in those networks, they could get even more, get right. even better, and, and just go crazy. Yeah, it was a fire sale. It, this was probably Christmas. Well, I was about to say Christmas in July. It's, it's, <laughs> it's December, so it's <laughs> Christmas. Oh, but we know this was earlier. This yeah, was months yeah. ago. Well, it's da Christmas in May. I've got a question for you, Don. Uh, Daniel and I were talking before the show, uh, and I want to get your opinion on this. I, 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 it might be a semantics issue, but to me, when uh, I've seen a few articles that say uh, there was a, a backdoor that was found, and and to me, a backdoor is something that's that's coded in intentionally into a software to let you know the person who who wrote it get back in uh, after the fact is that just semantics here and we're not necessarily using that word right in, in some of these articles or i mean we don't uh you know we're not saying that that solar winds was in any way um you know had this intentionally intentional backdoor written in 
Oh, right. Yeah. So it is extremely unlikely that SolarWinds was implicit in this, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. it's certainly possible. There could have been an insider in SolarWinds. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. it, it, when you're talking about a state hacking group, it would not be unheard of. Nothing is off the table. Yeah. yeah. They, they could have a family of agents, like in the TV shows, living here in the U.S., and they have a kid who grows up entirely here in the U.S. who goes to work for Solar Winds, you know, after 30 yeah. years yeah. and becomes <laughs> yeah. CEO and, and then puts the back door in. Um, so this is, this is more like <laughs> like if someone if someone uh, put a bulldozer through the back of my house, they wouldn't say, "Hey, we've made a back door and now we've come in." I mean that that's more what this is is that yeah. that somebody infiltrated yeah. the house. But right. uh, and I guess it's a door now. Something like this happened a year ago where attackers got access to a GitHub repository, and so they just put the back door into the GitHub repo, and then the the actual employees just built the code from GitHub. They they yeah. digitally signed it, and it was distributed. And when that software would run, it would phone home to these servers. I guess if you're thinking of like. How they use Solar Winds to gain access to FireEye, where they had, you know, I guess that's a backdoor. They're, they're saying yeah. that Solar Winds is effectively a backdoor into FireEye. Solar Winds is the backdoor. Yeah, it's right. not a, it's right. not a backdoor. Maybe into that's Solar how Wind. they're using it. I'm trying. It could be. Yeah. yeah, give them credit. Think like, uh, you know, maybe you've got a secure network at home, uh, no. and you have <laughs> no. a just not true. And you have a cleaning lady or a nanny or somebody that comes by uh, every so often, and you allow them to Let's use say your Wi-Fi network. Natasha. <laughs> <laughs> well, an attacker, instead of targeting you directly, could target the cell phone of the cleaning service or sure, target right. the laptop used by the nanny. And so when they come into your network, now their device is phoning home. It's not that that person was in involved in the attack, but they became that vector, and they're effectively leaving the door unlocked. Right. Yeah, that makes sense because, you know, FireEye did put this software, you know, on their systems knowingly, but uh, not knowing that there was... Man, zero uh, days are fun. Yeah, yeah, super fun. Yeah. And, you know, how many of us uh, go through and do, like, full security auditing and testing of every update that comes out for software we use in our network? It's, Never done it. It's a rare thing. <laughs> <laughs> I am shocked. <laughs> Never, Never even read it. release notes. Yeah. Yeah. What's no, a I've security read update? It just says fixed bugs. <laughs> yeah. Read more. I'm like, yep, fixed anyway, bugs. I'm not putting that in. <laughs> Got it. Nailed it. All right. Well, yeah, that's that is a big story and one I'm certain we will be talking about uh, into 2021 as we look back at what happened and what we can learn from it. Yeah, this story broke, uh, I believe, three days ago and updates have been coming out practically hourly since then. This this one's big. We should do one of those autopsies on it. Oh, uh, I yeah. should mention, if if you are running SolarWinds Network Performance Monitor, uh, if you're running SolarWinds Orion, you should have updated anyway because that's ancient. Uh, but if you're running Network Performance Monitor uh, and you did an update between March and June, which you should have, then that means you are vulnerable. And so you need to make sure you're updating. Uh, if you have stolen SolarWinds software, which I do oh, know some yeah. people do, that's a bad you idea. Get what you got coming. And yes, <laughs> that that is exactly what's going to happen. So definitely make sure you've patched and updated. There you go, Karma. All right. I uh, want to let you know about a couple of things. Uh, we're, we're done with our webinars for 2020, but we uh, have a fun one coming up for 2021. Our first one is going to be the top search to get you started uh, for the career changers of 2021. It's kind of one of those um, you know New Year's resolutions things, and it's going to be taking place on January 14th, uh, 2021 at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, and that's with Network Chuck. 
who is a, a good friend of ours. So a uh, big YouTube personality. You've probably heard of Network Chuck. So he's going to be joining us for that one. Uh, again, that is on the 14th of January. And you can head over to itpro.tv slash webinars to register for that one. And as well as seeing all the past webinars. Just had one last week on um, vSphere 7 uh, that uh, Adam and Gordon did about the new release from VMware. So check that out as well. Or you might know Network Chuck from his uh, coffee brand. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very big in the coffee space. It's true. I, I don't know if there would be a lot of crossover of coffee people wanting to learn about. Well, I, you know. You never know. into coffee. You want to get your new <laughs> like, Never know. There's an opening at SolarWinds uh, <laughs> on the security team. <laughs> See, that's a, that's a double entendre because there's an opening in SolarWinds Ba-doom, software. Boom. <laughs> and oh, I see. And, and I that did works. that. I did it intentionally. Yeah, that is it. To. Yeah. Totally meant to. Uh, hey, while you're on that internet, head over to go.itpro.tv/technado. You can get a thirty percent off coupon code for the lifetime of your subscription for your personal plan, and you can also request information for a team. We've got volume pricing for teams of uh, of two and up. So uh, go ahead and head over to go.itpro.tv/technado. Find out all about that. Uh, as you are working towards that new IT career in 2021, that is a great place to start. All right, gentlemen. Well, the next couple of weeks are going to be some fun ones. Uh, we're kind of in the in the in between times. You know, didn't want to necessarily schedule guests, so we're going to do some some fun lookbacks, predictions for next year, uh, maybe a little game. Um, so get excited about that. Uh, any any closing thoughts, anybody? Perfect. Great to have you back. Daniel. It's like it, this is just like in a Zoom meeting when it freezes. Like, are, did you guys hear any of that that I just said? All right. Fair enough. I appreciate it. All right, everybody. Uh, stay tuned for next week. But that's going to do it for us today. So we'll see you next time on Technado with Don Pizzette.